now this college is underway, and we come now to the first day in class. And in chapter 10, the school bell is rung, and then the young student now is given some guidelines for his life. How important. These are the lessons that we're to learn in the school of Christ. And technically, we have here the Proverbs of Solomon written and set in order by himself. Now, will you notice? The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Have you ever noticed this in life, that if a father has a son that has gone to school and made good grades, and maybe he's even become an outstanding athlete, the old man goes around and brags about it. He tells everybody where his works. My boy, he's a Ph.D. and he's teaching in college. Or my boy, he's on the football team. Have you ever heard a man talk like that? But suppose the boy went and failed and he didn't make the team. The old man, he doesn't say anything about it at all. He keeps his mouth shut. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. It's the mother that grieves at a time like that. The father just keeps quiet about it and ignores it. What a picture this is of life. A wise son and a foolish son. You can be either one. And then he says, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Now again, Christ has been made unto us not only wisdom, but righteousness. He delivers from death. Verse 3, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. And this is true to life of how men that have got together a great fortune, they've gone off and left that fortune, never really meant much to them. They never really enjoyed it at all. But the very interesting thing is that God will bless the righteous man. And that's been true in life, friends. Oh, he'll have his problems and his difficulties, and he's having it rough today. But, oh, what a satisfaction and a blessing there is in serving the Lord. I have not been calling attention to it very much since I mentioned it, but there's a proverb that will fit every character in the Bible. And I'm of the opinion that a proverb will fit every person. Or let me turn that around and say there is a proverb for every individual. Some are good and some are bad, of course, but they are quite remarkable. Now, who do you think of in connection with Jehovah will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish? Well, there's a young fellow by the name of Joseph down in Egypt that thought that he'd come to the end, that God had forgotten him, and yet he had great faith. And this man was brought out of prison, became prime minister down in the land of Egypt. This verse certainly fits him. Verse 4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Now, who do you think of as being a man that this would fit? Well, how about Abraham? How generous he was in all that he did in his giving. He told Lot, you just take any part of the land you want, and I'll take what's left. 
takes a very generous man to divide real estate like that, you know. And how about he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand? That man Lot looked down, and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, my, that's the place to go. I think Abraham's very foolish not to go down there, and he'd have top priority. But since he's given me the opportunity to choose, I'll choose that down there. With a very slack hand, very selfishly, he went down there. He lost everything. And what a picture that you find here. And then this reveals also something else. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. There are two words that won't go together in the Bible. Faith and laziness do not mingle. A lazy Christian is not a Christian with real faith in God. And one that is diligent, I tell you, is one that will work, one that will labor. When the Lord called the apostle Paul, he didn't get a lazy individual. Now we read in verse 5, "...he that gathereth in summer..." is a wise son. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Now you have here a contrast again between the boy that is diligent. He's called wise here because he works in summer. And the one that sleeps during the time of harvest, a lazy one, he's the one that is not going to get the job done. I'd say, Christian friend, that you need to recognize that God wants to train you and school you. I remember that I was a pastor in a little church, and I had a wonderful wife, and she encouraged me. I was never satisfied. I wanted to do something more for God than I was doing there. And so she encouraged me to finish working on my doctor's degree and studying the Bible, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. And I took advantage of that period, and I thank God for it. Someone said, how do you have time? Having been pastor here in Southern California of two churches, that you're so busy all the time. When did you prepare? When you go back to Texas, to a little town where I had five years. And I tell you, I spent that time studying, and the day came when God enabled me to use that. And I would say to any young person today, you want to be used to God, then wherever you are, begin to prepare yourself. Remember, he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son. God's given you time now to prepare. Take advantage of it. Oh, these are tremendous truths. My friend, these are eternal truths. And the interesting thing is... These are truths not to soar around up yonder in the heavenlies, although they're going to fit in mighty well there. They're right down here on the sidewalk. And if they can't walk on the sidewalk in your town, there's something wrong with them. But the interesting thing is, if they don't work for you, there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with us. Now, notice what he says in verse 6. Blessings are upon the head of the just. But violence covereth the mouth of the lawless. And what a picture that you have here of certain individuals that are in the Word of God. Blessings are upon the head of the jet. That's Samuel, is it not? Violence covereth the mouth of the lawless. That's Saul. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the lawless shall rot. 
And think of that today in connection with certain individuals that a few years ago were famous, but today they're beginning to fade out. And I'm of the opinion the men of this generation will be forgotten in the next 50 years. But it's quite interesting that men like Dwight L. Moody and women like Queen Victoria and certain other individuals go farther back like Abraham Lincoln, they're recognized. This is a true proverb. These proverbs, my friend, just fit right down in life. And we read verse 8, "...the wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall." That word-mouthed fool, the one who is always talking, he's wise in his own conceit, and he does a lot of talking. But the wise in heart, he'll receive commandments. You remember there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar? He listened to Daniel. He prospered. There's another king by the name of Belshazzar. He was a fool. <laughs> and one night at a banquet, why, that happened to be the end for him. And then verse 9, "...he that walketh in integrity walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known." Or, if you want it in our proverb today, honesty is the best policy. Then we have here verse 10, "...he that winketh with the eye causeth sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall." Here is something that's quite interesting. The eye and the mouth should be in agreement. When you see a man say something and wink, it means he doesn't mean what he said. His mouth and his mind are not in agreement. And when they're not in agreement, well, it'll cause a great deal of sorrow. After all, who does this fit? Well, how about Judas? The kiss of Judas certainly was a kiss of betrayal because it denoted affection, and it certainly didn't mean that for him. Then will you notice verse 11 here? The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the lawless. Now, all of these are very outstanding proverbs, but in this section here, you'll find certain guidelines for the young man. And I'm going to hit those now as high places. The next one is verse 14. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. All the time the wise man is gathering up knowledge. And the foolish, he's got one foot in a banana peeling with the other one in the grave all the time. And then we find here in verse 16, "...the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin." This is a tremendous proverb and one that we need to recognize here in verse 16, "...the labor of the righteous tendeth to life." Who you think of in that connection? Well, that was Abel. You remember, he was raising sheep. He brought a little lamb. The produce of the lawless is sin. That's Cain. He brought the fruit of the ground. What a picture that you have here in these. I think I probably ought to drop back to verse 13 because we have one here that's represented. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. And the whole world came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
But now notice the rest of the verse. But a rod is for the back of him that's void of heart. How about the son of Solomon, Rehoboam? He would not listen to the advice given to him by the wise man. He listened to the young man. And as a result, it brought destruction upon him. Now, what a picture that you have here. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life. Paul says in Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death. And that means for the Christian. And means death, that means separation from God in the way of fellowship. God's not going to fellowship with a carnally minded person, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, the proverb here, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. That is, fellowship with God meant salvation for Abel, and the produce of the lawless is sin. And this is the carnal-minded man, and it certainly is a picture of Cain. Now, we find here in verse 17, "...he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth." And this would apply to the son of David, Absalom. He wouldn't listen. And he made a big mistake in going against his own father, who was an expert in warfare. He'd had a lot of experience. Now we find here in verse 18, "...he that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool." Two things here. "...he that hideth hatred with lying lips." What a terrible thing it is to have someone that pretends to be your friend, and then you discover that they're really your enemy. That person actually is a fool. You'll get on to them after a while. And he that uttereth a slander, he's a fool, you see. God gave a law to his people in Leviticus 19.16. He says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbarrow among thy people. And again, he says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Don't flatter the man when you actually hate him. And don't slander the man. You have that in Scripture. Remember Joab pretended to be a friend of Abner. And he lured him out of the city and he killed him. And he died as a fool died. You remember, that's what David had to say of him. He died like a fool. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, he that uttereth a slander, is a fool. And then we're told in verse 19, "...in the multitudes of words thou wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise." Have you ever noticed any of these government decrees that are handed down? I have one. I don't have it with me today. I have it in my file. It's on cabbage. And I think that it just has to do with the cabbage. That's it. And I think there's 25,000 words in that little edition that they put out about cabbage. But how many words are they in the Lord's Prayer? Not very many. About the 23rd Psalm. And how about Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? He gave many long speeches. Nobody's ever remembered them, but the world, I don't think, will forget the Gettysburg Address. In the multitudes of words, there wanteth not sin. 
but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Verse 20, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the lawless is of little worth. What tremendous statements, and I'll not go into many of these here today. And we're told the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of heart. And again, I'd bring Samuel and Saul before us here as examples of this. Samuel, a great judge and man in Israel, but that man Saul was not that. Then you have in verse 22, "...the blessing of Jehovah, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it." This is something that we need to remember. Those that live in pleasures, they think that they are living it up. The jet set think they're living it up. But the closer they get to the end of life, life becomes actually unbearable. I saw pictures on TV of a banquet that was put on. It was a political affair, but those that were there were the rich. And they were there, of course, for a purpose. Both parties are, you know, they after the rich to support it. There wasn't a happy face in that crowd. The camera panned the entire audience. And I thought, my, here they are at a banquet, and jokes are being told, but there's not a happy face in the crowd. The thing is, I think Christians, by their indifference to moral and doctrinal wrong, and by being lax in their way of living, that they're missing a great deal today. The blessing of Jehovah, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it at all. What a picture. And then verse 23 is another advice to a young man, by the way. It is as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. What good advice to a young man. Then verse 24, the fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. Verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send it. You ever send a lazy boy on an errand? And then you stand first on one foot and the other, waiting for him. And that's just like getting vinegar in your teeth or get smoke in your eyes. And we have here, verse 27, "...the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened." That was certainly true in the Old Testament. God promised long days to those that obeyed him. And somebody says, well, doesn't he promise that today? No, he promises us eternal life. That, by the way, is a little better quality of life as well as quantity. And verse 30, The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. You want to look at history with that in view? All of the great kingdoms, the kings and captains have departed, and they've disappeared. The Caesars, the Napoleons, the Alexanders, the great, the Pharaohs, they're all gone. <laughs> the righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. And neither will communism prevail. And the very interesting thing is, neither will democracy. Because God has a form of government that is a monarchy. And dictatorship 
There'll be no dictatorship like the ruling of Jesus Christ over this earth. Now we come here in chapter 11, and wisdom, who is Christ, the school has started, and wisdom now is the teacher. And she had to even go out in the highways and byways to get her pupils, but she got them, and now they're in class. And she's teaching by Proverbs. And these Proverbs are generally Proverbs that you have, as we saw at the very beginning of this study, that there are several different kinds of Proverbs, and that most of these are Proverbs that are taught by parallelism. That's the way Hebrew poetry is attained, and an item is repeated, or the contrast is repeated. And so we have synonymous parallelism and antithetic or contrast parallelism, and then synthetic parallelism, where the second clause develops the thought of the first. And you have all of that through this section here. I call your attention to this again. And Proverbs, as we've seen, are short sentences drawn from long experience. Now, the young man's actually given a good business course here. He's told here at the very beginning that a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. He's to be honest. He's to be honest in his business. He is to be a man of integrity. And it's wonderful today to find men like that. And I'm thankful that there's so many of these wonderful Christian businessmen I met a man down in Florida. He's from Chicago. I played golf with him. He always comes to the conference down at Bible Town in Boca Raton that I speak at. And he and I have gotten very well acquainted. He's an insurance man. Well, I didn't know much about him, you know, and his business. And then a man that knew a great deal about him told me, that that man was known far and near for his honesty and integrity. And he's a successful businessman. Wonderful to find men like that, especially in this world in which we live. And then the other all-besetting sin is pride. And immediately, the young man here in his freshman course, he's told, when pride cometh, Then cometh shame, and with the lowly is wisdom. Again, by contrast, you see, that which is pride and that which is humility. And always with pride there cometh shame. There'll be a great deal in Scripture about that, and a great deal in Proverbs. Then in verse 3, we're told in chapter 11 of Proverbs, "...the integrity of the upright shall guide them." but the perverseness of the treacherous shall destroy them. That's a very wonderful statement, by the way, and it just simply means this, that if a person wants to walk in the truth, if that's the desire of your heart, the Spirit of God can be counted upon for guidance and direction. I talked to a young man that has very much the same problem that I had when I went to school, which, of course, was finances. And he says, how do you tell the will of God? Which way should I go? Well, I said, I had that same problem. And I said, it always, for me, narrowed down to just this one way, which became very simple. It was the way that opened up 
that I could go. I said, if a door was closed, it was closed. And if I didn't have the money to go to school, I didn't have it. But the Lord always would just open up one door and let me go in. Again and again, that happened. And I always interpreted that. And I said, I believe if you mean business with God, he'll open up the door. And I said, at least that's my experience, and I testify to it. Now, verse 4 here, "...riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death." Does that remind you of the parable our Lord told about rich man and the beggar Lazarus? And both of them died. Well, the riches of the rich man didn't seem to avail him anything in the day of wrath. And the righteousness delivered this beggar, took him right to Abraham's bosom. Those that trust riches certainly have their priorities upside down. There's nothing wrong in wealth, but we need to recognize it has limitations. It'll buy most anything in this world but it buys nothing in the next world. Now we have here, in verse 5, "...the righteousness of the perfect shall make straight his way, but the lawless shall fall by his own lawlessness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. And when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish and the hope of unjust men perish. And then verse 8, "...the righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead." Now, these are tremendous verses that we have here that actually I'm beginning now to call attention to the thing we mentioned at the beginning, that there's a proverb for every character in the Bible, and there's one for every character you and I know, and there's one for us. Now, when a lawless man dieth, his expectation shall perish. The hope of the unjust man perisheth. Well, does that remind you of Haman in the book of Esther? Certainly it was true of him. And then in verse 9 here, we have a hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the righteous be delivered. Now, the hypocrite, And that's a very interesting word. The word comes from two Greek words. Krino means to answer. Hupo means to answer back. And the hypocrite's one who answers back. And it was used for actors in Greek plays. You see, one actor gives a cue to the other one, and when the cue is given, he knows it's time for him to say his little piece, so he says it. It's play acting, as it were. Now, a hypocrite, especially in religious matter, has just one thought in mind, and that is, of course, to cover up his own life of sin and the phoniness of it. He's the one that will say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, I have a letter. This party gets after me for saying that people who say, Hallelujah, that's wrong. Well, again, you misunderstood me. I said that there are folk that use the expression, praise the Lord, and hallelujah, they're being hypocritical. It covers up their life, which is a phony life, and they're just playing a part. Now, it can be said in a genuine, wonderful way. And the fact of the matter is, I love to hear it. 
myself, coming from a genuine, born-again child of God. And when you hear it from a person like that, well, it's wonderful to hear it. But there's a lot that's phony, and that's the thing that we were talking about, that it's used to cover up the fact of the matter that they're not genuine. Now, the hypocrite, therefore, will destroy you. And he's the fellow that's not your friend. Who do you think of in the Bible in this connection? You remember Potiphar's wife and the way that she maligned Joseph, brought false charges against him? Why? Cover up her own sin, that she was the guilty party. And, of course, who's going to believe a slave over against the wife of an official of Pharaoh? Well, you know, Joseph just will not open his mouth. He doesn't have a chance. And unfortunately, that sometimes in the church, a hypocrite will protect himself, will say terrible things. I've always been afraid of the man who is nice to his preacher, to his face, but criticizes him to his back. I've always felt, since I've been a minister, the man that does that, you better watch out. He's covering up something in his own life. And time has, to me, always demonstrated that that was a correct estimation. And that's what the proverb is saying here. Now, verse 10, "...when it goeth well with the righteous, a city rejoiceth. And when the lawless perish, there is shouting." Well, I'll put David and Saul by the side of that proverb, because I tell you, when David was king, Jerusalem became a great city. But this man Saul, when he died, why, there was not much mourning for him. And then verse 12, "...he that is void of heart despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace." You remember this man again? David, to me, is an example of many of these Proverbs. And did you ever stop to think of it? David's life had a tremendous effect on Solomon though his own mother was the one that David had committed the sin at the beginning and the one blot in his life. Yet David's life otherwise was a wonderful life. And here, you remember when David went out of the city when his son Absalom rebelled against him and Shimei of the family of Saul cursed him. Old Joab, his captain, wanted to go over and run a spear through him. David says, oh, no, says, he's speaking out of his heart, and this is God's judgment on me. Just let him alone. And David kept quiet. The amazing thing is, I think there are many times when you find folk cursing you, actually, finding people maligning your character. Just keep quiet. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord took care of this situation also. Marvelous Proverbs, these are. And these are wonderful principles You see, to give to young men or young people, I would say that this movement that we have among young people, and it's a real spiritual movement going on, I'd like to see them begin studying the book of Proverbs and bring them to Christ because he's the one who runs the school of wisdom and he's made unto us wisdom, and it would give them a lot of common sense. And we are short on common sense. We've got a lot of high cues and a lot of low common sense. Now we have here, verse 13, "...a tale-bearer goeth about revealing secrets, 
but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Now, a talebearer is one who's telling something to hurt someone, of course. And sometimes what he's saying is true, but he ought not to say it to others. If he knows that a brother of his is sinned, he ought to go to him personally and deal with him about it. If he's going to tell anybody about it, tell the individual and not attempt to run around and tell everybody else about it. And that is a marvelous thing. Now, will you notice verse 14? Where no management is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And where no counsel is, or no management, is a better translation. You see, it doesn't make any difference how smart you are. You need good advice. You need to have good advice. Remember that Daniel was an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar. He helped him a great deal. He was an advisor to Cyrus, and he was a great help to him. Now he says, verse 15, "...he that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth suretyship is sure." Well, he'll smart for it, and he will get smart if he does it. He'll find out that he actually made a big mistake And the very interesting thing here is that this teaches a great truth. There was one who was surety for a stranger. (laughs) And you know who that was? Well, listen to Paul. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. He assumed your debt of sin and mine, and he paid an awful penalty. And in Psalm 69, 4, the psalmist in prophecy speaks of him, I restored that which I took not away. He paid our debt. And in Isaiah 53, 7, it says, here's a new translation, it was exacted and he became answerable. When the wages of sin is death and It meant I'd have to pay it. He paid it for me. What a wonderful thing that is. He bore on the tree the sentence for me. And now both the surety and sinner are free. He took my place. Now we have here in verse 16, A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. Now the woman is the weaker vessel. Who does this remind you of? Well, it reminds me of Ruth in the book of Ruth. She was a widow, she was poor, and she was a woman. (laughs) And yet she retained her honor. Boaz could say, My people, that is, a whole town of Bethlehem, knows that you're a virtuous woman. And that means not only did she maintain her honor in a way that delivered her from any adultery, but in every way. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong man retain riches. That is Boaz in his day. These are great proverbs. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but the cruel troubleth his own flesh. And then let me just move down here to verse 18. We have here quite a section. It says, The lawless worketh a deceitful work. But to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil 
attendeth to his own death. They that are of a froward heart are abomination to Jehovah, but such as are upright in the way are his delight. Though hand join in hand, the evildoer shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Now, we're making quite a contrast here between sin and righteousness. And that which is deceit and lawlessness, these things are going to be judged. There's no escape. That's the thing that's very clear here. And the righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Christ. And if we have that, we'll not come into judgment, pass from death to life. Then here's a marvelous one. Verse 22, "...as a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman that is without discretion." Have you ever seen any pigs walking around with gold rings in their snouts? Well, there are a lot of them out here in Hollywood, friends. Beautiful women with no discretion. Verse 23, "...the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the lawless is wrath." And the only way to have peace and joy is being rightly related to Christ. Now he says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. This is a paradox, by the way. And Bunyan put it like this, a man there was, though some did count him mad. The more he cast away, the more he had. He that bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and ten times more. It reveals the fact that the Lord says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. And this, I think, has to do with giving to the Lord's work. Now, in verse 26 here, I read, he that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. I think here of two or three individuals in connection with this verse. I think, for instance, of Joseph down in Egypt. He didn't withhold corn. You remember, he gathered it up for seven years and then was able to feed the world, including his own father and brothers and their families at that particular time. Then you remember there was a man by the name of Nabal, and Nabal means a fool. He was married to a beautiful woman, Abigail. And may I say, you may think of some combinations like that that you know. I know of several like that. And she was a very sensible, lovely person. Why she married him, I don't know, except that he was a rich man. And we find that David had taken care of his sheep when he was out there as a nomad and had helped him on many occasions. And David and his men got hungry, and he called on Nabal. Nabal turned him down flat. In fact, the matter is he insulted the messengers that David had sent. And believe me, that red-headed fellow David's not going to take it lying down. He goes after the man, and of course this woman meets them. What an illustration of this. But say how practical this is. The corn is the word of God, <laughs> and he that withholdeth it. God have mercy on the preacher today that is discussing the social questions. They're important, but that is not discussing the word of God. 
We're to give out the Word of God. We are not to withhold the corn. And therefore, I just wonder how many of you sitting on the sidelines are withholding corn from those around you. And you could be a great impetus and help in others in getting out the Word of God. And there's so many ways that you can get it out. Our way here by radio is just one of the many wonderful ways it can go out. This is a tremendous proverb, as you can see. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it, that gets the corn out. And we sell it without money and without price, of course. Now we read, He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief it shall come unto him. That is, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then verse 28, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. These are tremendous things here. And the one that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Our Lord gave a parable about a man, and as we've said, we don't think he ever made up a parable. They were drawn from real life. And he says, that man says, I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. And he gave all of his attention to that. And the man had already had a coronary attack, and yet he paid no attention to that. And our Lord said he's a fool, because instead of getting big barns, and big barns are fine, nothing wrong with that. The thing that was wrong was he was so interested in building big barns down here, he didn't think of building anything for eternity. And that's where the man was the fool. And that's the danger of riches. You don't buy your way into heaven. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Then let me drop down to verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, this is, I think, a very wonderful one. And it simply means this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Many years ago, a survey was made of the sons of preachers, because PKs, preachers' kids, come in for a lot of criticism. And it was found that quite a few of our presidents, including Woodrow Wilson, they were sons of preachers, and that some of the outstanding scientists have been sons of preachers. And actually, the children of saved folk, they turn out very well. Now, today, there's been so much made of this matter of attempting to have little courses and how to act in the home and all that sort of thing. I wish that I could get this smattering of knowledge and this little surface coat that's being put on. I wish I could get past that and get these folk to remember this, that just a little course of psychology and of being sweet and nice in the home is not the answer to it. That what we need is to return to the Word of God and to live a life in the home. And a lot of these problems will evaporate when that is done. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And that's the way it's going to work out. And he that is wise winneth soul. There's a great deal of attention being given today to personal witnessing. And I think it's good. I believe it's the finest thing that's taking place in our day and generation.
And the Word of God's been saying all the time, he that wins souls is wise. Now, verse 31, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the lawless and the sinner. Judgment is coming. No question about that. Now, I just keep moving right on over into chapter 12. We're still in our freshman year, but it's very important. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Now, the man that loves instruction is a man that has a true estimate of what's top priority and what's really of superior values. And that means that he'll listen to instruction. One of the great problems is of getting folk not only to listen to the Word of God, but to obey it. Obedience is absolutely essential. Now will you notice verse 2 and 3. A good man obtaineth favor of Jehovah, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. A man shall not be established by lawlessness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Now, I think our Lord gave a parable in the Sermon on the Mount that deals with this. One man built his house on a rock, another built it on sand. And the rock, of course, is Christ, the solid foundation of the Word of God. But it doesn't make any difference. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I don't care who he is. He's coming to a pretty sorry, sad end. He could even be high up in the estimation of man. He may be famous. He may be rich. But God is going to certainly judge man. That is the important thing. I think here. Now, verse 4, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is his rottenness and his bones. Now, think of the wonderful wives that you have in the Old Testament. You know, Eve was quite a wonderful person, I think, in spite of the fact she listened to the serpent. I believe Sarah was a wonderful wife, although she made a pretty bad suggestion. And I think that you find in the mother of Moses, a very wonderful wife, Jochebed. She must have been a wonderful person. But there are others that are not so good. That was Job's wife. She was not very much of a help. It's interesting. Satan took away from Job everything that he leaned upon except his wife. And that must mean she wasn't very much of a help to Job at all. And then, of course, there's that bloody Athaliah. Of course, she had a bad mother in Jezebel. So that you have illustrations, many of them in Scripture, of this. Remember now, this is a lesson for a young man. And the most important course he can take is, of course, how to choose a wife, how to make a choice. The most important thing that any girl has is to choose a husband. I know that Ogden Nash years ago put it in a little doggerel that goes something like this to make marriage a success. And this is much better than a lot of the courses they're giving today because these courses don't last. I mean, you drop back in your evil ways after another year after you've had the course. The trouble is that 
you're not living in the Word of God. If you were, then you wouldn't need the course to begin with. Now, listen to Ogden Nash. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. That's good advice, to keep your marriage with love in the loving cup. Now, let's move on. We have verse 5 here. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsel of the lawless are deceit. The words of the lawless are to lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. The lawless are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. Now, you can well see that God apparently is one that is a square. Let's face it. He believes in law and order. He has a lot to say against the lawless. Now, in verse 8, "...a man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse heart shall be exposed to contempt." I think of Gideon and his son. Gideon, he's to be commended according to his wisdom. And Abimelech, his son, was exposed to contempt. And then verse 9, "...he that is despised and hath a servant is better than he that honoreth himself and lacketh bread." I think you could get a better translation here where it says, "...better is the poor that provideth for himself." I think that is a better translation. It's rather confusing here, but it looks like the contrast is being made that it is better to be envied than he who delights in making a pompous display while at the same time he has an empty bread basket. How true this is. I think you could put Jacob and Esau down on this proverb. Esau, the hungry, and yet he's the one that had the blessing but attached no importance to it at all. Now, will you notice verse 10? A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the lawless are cruel. I mentioned the other day the thing that impressed me about my dad. He died, was killed in an accident in a cotton gin when I was 14 years old, just at a time when a boy thinks his dad's a hero. Frankly, I've never gotten over it. I always felt he was a wonderful dad. And yet, I do know that he drank and apparently used pretty strong language at times. But I mentioned the fact of how on one occasion that he stopped when he saw a gate open and the man's cattle were out. This was out in West Texas. He got out and put them all back in, closed the gate, and got back in the buggy. never said a word about it at all. And then I remember one time we were driving from... Ardmore, Oklahoma, up to Springer, and that was in the good old days when it was a dirt road and we had a horse and buggy. And there was a man ahead of us that was drunk in his buggy, and he was beating his animal. And my dad got out of the buggy. We couldn't get around him to begin with. And my dad got out of the buggy, went up and talked to the man about beating his animal. And the man took offense, naturally, being a drunk, and he got out and he swung at my dad. He missed him, but my dad hit him and really knocked him down. And he told him to get back in that buggy. And my dad took the whip away from him. And he told him, he said, you let that horse alone. You quit beating him. 
And the man, of course, went on down the road, and we followed him. That impressed me. All of that sort of thing impressed me. And I'm delighted to find in Scripture a proverb like this, "...a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast." Someone that had a dog. In fact, he had several dogs. He told me, he says, "...I always judge a man by the reaction of my dogs to him." So dogs know character. They know whether they'd be mistreated by an individual. It's quite interesting that the animal world seems to know human character maybe better than some of us do. And God has a proverb about it. I like it. I trust you do. Verse 11, "...he that killeth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of heart." In other words, stay on the job. <laughs> Keep busy. And don't do so much running around. Well, there's a new proverb out today. It's like this. How come the now generation always says later when you ask them to do something? That's what he's saying here. Now will you notice as we move on in this very wonderful chapter here, the lawless desireth the fortress of evil, but the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. Now you'll notice all the way through here we have this contrast that is like this. And I'm going to just lift out certain of these very wonderful proverbs because there is a similarity through here. In other words, there is an emphasis and there is a repetition. And today we are told that there should not be repetition in teaching. And after all, that's the best kind of teaching. If you can keep saying it and get by with it, it's a great thing to do. Now, we have here verse 15, "...the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise." And I'm sure that the minute that we give you that one, you know who it refers to. We've already had one proverb that's referred to him. It's Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He wouldn't listen at all to the wise counsel that he had. And then we want to drop on down now to verse 17, "...he that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health." Now, somebody may say something to you that's very strong language. And if your preacher's preaching the truth, he's going to hurt you sometime. I appreciate what someone said in a letter the other day for this broadcast. Every now and then I make the statement, I don't want to be ugly, but I am going to be ugly because I'm going to say something strong. And this party said, go on being ugly, Dr. McGee, in your beautiful way. Well, I don't know how beautiful it is, but I intend to say what is here. And if your preacher is preaching the truth, there are times when he's going to put a sword right in your heart, friends. And if you're not willing to accept it, well, the hypocrite always covers up, you see, by hatred and bitterness. And that's the reason that I said some time ago that I'm always doubtful of a man, a little afraid of him, if he's highly critical of his preacher. That is, if he's nice to his face, but to his back he's sticking a knife in him. Now, here, but the tongue of the wise is help. Verse 19. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. 
Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the lawless shall be filled with mischief. Lying lips are an abomination to Jehovah, but they that deal truly are his delight. Now, all of these verses here have to do with the tongue, the lying tongue, and the lips of truth, and they're put in contrast here. Now, again, may I repeat something we've said before. The Word of God has more to say about the tongue and in judgment of the tongue than it does about the use and abuse of alcohol. And yet, a lying tongue and a gossip can get by today in Christian circles. But a drunkard, I tell you, we would read him out, wouldn't we, of our fellowship. But what about that gossip? We do nothing about it, and yet the Word of God has more to say about that than anything else. Now we continue on in the book of Proverbs, and we are here at chapter 12 at verse 22 is where we're going to put in today. And this is a very wonderful verse we left off at this point. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. And what he's saying here is, tell the truth. A child of God, there's one thing that should characterize his life, and that is that he tell the truth. Then we move on into this chapter, A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Now, a prudent man will not say things that are going to hurt someone. You've probably been in a crowd when there's been some foolish person there, big mouth person generally, that says in that crowd something that casts a reflection on some individual, and always, of course, someone that's not present. And that's the thing that he's talking about here. A prudent man would not say that, but that is the heart of a fool that will say things like that. Then we read verse 24, "...the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute." Now, actually, some of these proverbs don't seem to fit in our contemporary culture. And, very frankly, I don't think they do, for the very simple reason. It's not always the diligent that's elected to office. And the slothful are the ones that pay taxes. I'm not sure it's that way today. I don't want to come in under the category of being lazy, but I do have to pay taxes. And very frankly, I feel like that they're excessive and extreme, and I think something should be done about the way that money is being spent. But I've gone over these Proverbs again, actually in prayer. I have... Ask God for light on this, and I must confess an ignorance, but I believe that these Proverbs are to all be considered in the light of eternity, that the measuring stick for Proverbs is eternity. And it doesn't mean the local situation. It means in the light of eternity. And aren't we told today that someday that we are going to rule with Christ? 
And I think that that also means, provided we're diligent today, I do not believe that every believer in heaven is going to be on the same plane. I think there'll be different gradations. I personally would be very embarrassed if I found myself on the same plane of the apostles and sitting next to Paul the apostle. I'd be greatly, actually humiliated because I don't think I belong there. And I think there'll be different planes. But I do think the diligent are to rule with him. And many of these Proverbs are to be looked at, I believe, in the light of eternity. That would be my explanation of many of these that are here. And so many of them, though, are geared right down to shoe leather today. Now, will you notice verse 25? Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. In other words, how forcible are right words? You remember Job said to his friend, Right words bring comfort and cheer and encouragement to those that are grieving or bitterness of spirit or having a problem. And we need to recognize that. You don't beat a person down that is having trouble at all. Verse 26, The righteous searcheth out his neighbor, but the way of the lawless seduceth them. In other words, the righteous man wants to help his neighbor. But there are some neighbors that are going to try to hurt you, and we need to be very careful. The righteous man, if he finds you're wrong, he's going to come and talk to you about it and face you with it. Nathan was the best friend David ever had, and yet it was Nathan who had the courage to point his finger and said, you're the man, something you've got to straighten out in your life. Well, how wonderful that is to recognize that we've got a good friend. One of the best friends I ever had, a man who helped me through school. And when I first started in the ministry, the Lord was gracious to me, let me be pastor of a church. It had been my home church where people loved me, and they were very sympathetic with me because I was pretty much of an amateur to be pastor of such a large and prominent church in that day. But they were very good to me, and I never shall forget, I heard a man speak at Winona Lake. And to me, he was great. And I tried to imitate him. I even tried to imitate his accent. And my church discovered that. They'd just sit there and smile. But very few said anything about it at all. And I'd received no harsh criticism. This man who'd helped me through school, he invited me to lunch. He said to me just one thing, and I never shall forget it. It was a good proverb. He said, Vernon, we would rather have a genuine Vernon McGee than an imitation anybody else. That's all he said. And friends, that's all he needed to say. Then from then on, I began being Vernon McGee. Now, that may not have been good, but it was better than trying to imitate somebody else. How forcible are right words. And the righteous, he searcheth out his neighbor. He helps his neighbor. But the lawless, he'll seduce him. He goes over and pats him on the back. And then when his back is turned, he crucifies him. My, how these Proverbs gear right down into your neighborhood, right down into your church, right down where you work today. Now, verse 27, and some of them are rather humorous. This one is, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, 
In other words, he went out and shot a deer, but he was too lazy to skin the deer and cut up the meat, cook it and eat it. You've got to be lazy to be like that as a hunter. And there's many a fisherman that'll fish and won't clean the fish. But the substance, we're told, of a diligent man is precious. In other words, he takes care of that. And you remember Ruth, when she went out and gleaned in the field? Boaz had been generous to her, but you know, when she got home, we're told she beat out that which she had gleaned. I tell you, she was willing to take that which she had gotten in such an easy way, but she wanted to beat it out and make the grain. You know what she could have done? She could have come and thrown it down in front of Naomi and said, Look, look what I've done. I got it. Now you beat it out. But she didn't do that. What a spirit is revealed here in this type of a life. Won't hurt you to wash the dishes every now and then. I've learned since I've retired, I belong to a club known as the Honeydew Club. And I'm at home more now, and it's honeydew this and honeydew that. And I found out something that I quit doing a long time ago as a boy. I used to tell my mother, when I grow up, I'm never going to wash dishes again. Well, I must be in my second childhood because I'm washing them again. But it won't hurt you to do that, by the way. Verse 28, In the way of righteousness there is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. What a wonderful vista opens to the child of God. Now, physical death is ahead of us if the Lord tarry, but eternal life is out yonder. Proverbs are to be looked at in the light of eternity, and that ought to give you a good day with that before your Christian friend.